Pot on the Tyne is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Pod on the Tyne. Um, my name's Taylor Payne and we are brought to you by The Athletic. I am here sitting in the comfort of my living room uh, and I am joined remotely by George Cogan and Chris Woff. How are we doing lads? Are we okay? Uh, yes, I'm doing very well, thank you. Chris, how about you? I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm not too bad, yeah. Self-isolating. Well, I'm not, but I sort of am because I am by myself. But Well, so are you self-isolating or are you not self-isolating? Or are you just isolated? I'm just isolated, essentially, yeah. Remove self, which I think is a pointless word, but me and George have already had this discussion, so I will not bore you with the... You've the got a problem with the, with the self. I mean, you're either isolating or you're not isolating. So let's forget this. Anyway, let's, let's not be isolated. <laughs> let's be a community. And let's just be yeah, a community I, slightly differently. Could I just please check something before we go any further? Can I just make sure everybody's wearing pants? Because I know this is not the usual way we do this, but there's no need to let standards drop, is the boys? Come on. Well, I kind of want the mystery to. I want the mystery. I want this to be an air of mystery, but so I'm actually not going to answer that question, Taylor. And I just. All want, right. Okay. I just want that to be dangling in the air, so to speak. And I'm wearing slippers. A bit like my genitals. <laughs> It's descended to penises already within, Sorry. what are we, a minute in? Well so done, George. Puerile. We are so pure. You are so pure. So pure. So at the minute, things are very strange. The The football season has officially been suspended. Newcastle United don't have any more games to play at the moment. The uh, the game against Sheffield United on Saturday was postponed or cancelled or whatever you want to call it, suspended. Um, our cup run has come to a shuddering halt, but not in the way that it normally does. Uh, what what the hell is going on and what's, what's going to happen next, gents? Well, they're unbeaten in the FA Cup, and so in one sense, that is that is that is a positive. And a even if the, even if the season was to end now, and so this that we don't have a conclusion, to anything. Well, Newcastle are one of eight unbeaten teams in the FA Cup, and that nobody will ever be able to take that away from them, which is far better than they usually do. But also, if the season was to end now, obviously Newcastle will be denied that opportunity of, of the quarter-final first and 14 years and so that would be very very disappointing a lot of fans were looking forward to that but for now I mean the season is on pause until April the 4th no professional football game so then all of their sport is shutting down I think that there's widely a sort of expectation that it'll probably go on indefinitely beyond that we just at the moment it's just so unclear as to when the coronavirus epidemic is going to slow and, and allow professional sport to continue yeah and you know we we have to sort of acknowledge that football isn't the most important thing at the minute and um and that we do have to look after ourselves and look after each other and um think about life in a very different way and i think we're all still sort of coming to terms with what that means and um, you know, football, Football, strange as it might seem to say this, because we invest so much of ourselves into it, particularly up here, I'm sure we would we would say that we have to kind of, you know, reevaluate a little bit. Chris and I were out in Newcastle on Saturday to do a piece about 
match day without the match and a football city without the football. And it was a very strange situation. It was only the first of what are going to be, you know, clearly many weekends like this. We we went to the stadium, which only a day before, you know, only a day before the game was going to be happening. And we walked around it. And obviously, it's deserted around the time of the game. There's nobody in the club shop. There's no. There's very few people um in the in the kind of bars and clubs around the place and we kind of ended up in the in the irish center and had a couple of pints and chatted to people and there was that kind of very surreal moment at about i don't know i think it was about four o'clock when they'd been showing the racing which was still going on there'd been a bit of sky sports news on showing sort of nothing and then suddenly at four o'clock the channel was changed over. They should have been showing the Six Nations rugby as well, and they had all the bunting up on the walls to kind of celebrate that and Guinness Guinness ads, ads and things like that. And suddenly at about four o'clock, it was turned over to ITV4 and it's Rooster Cogburn with um, John Wayne and, uh, you know, it's suddenly <laughs> playing on the bow and it's like, oh my God, this is like, this is what Saturdays are going to become from, from now on. Yeah. And, you know... I mean, in some ways, you can make an easy joke, like, as Newcastle fans, it's actually quite nice not to have to watch football on a Saturday. But you also realise how important it is to you and how it is, you know, how it is the sort of, it's the release at the end of the week and how the how our weeks still do build to this crescendo of the weekend. And, you know, that, that, has, now, that has now gone. And... Um, we have to get used to it. The nice thing is, we can still talk about football. We can still talk to football people. I've, um, I'm just back from um, chatting to Steve Harper, um, who obviously Newcastle's longest-serving player ever, former goalkeeper, and now on the coaching staff. And you know, he's we're kind of all coming to terms with with what might happen next and how the next kind of few weeks and months are, are gonna are gonna play out. But anyway. We in in our little world of podcasts and things like that, we're going to certainly carry on doing this. So yeah. we hope you'll continue listening to the absolute bollocks that we come out with, including <laughs> this very very long monologue that I'm doing now, which I don't yeah. appear to be able to end. Which I'll just try and end by stopping speaking right now. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely didn't agree to have Mrs. Brown's boys shown instead of match of the day on Saturday night. I I, I don't remember signing no. anything or or filling in a form which said that was allowed to happen. But somebody at the BBC has taken that decision upon themselves without consulting anybody, haven't they? And I, I have to say, I came in from work on Saturday night, um, and match of the day is one of those things. When I come in from work, I normally sit and I'll and I'll get myself settled, and then I'll pop match of the day on. That's my chance to catch up with the football. And Mrs. Brown's boys was on, and I felt physically sick. <laughs> right I mean yeah I mean that's a very extreme that's an extreme response but I do understand it I'm just glad that I got to go to Mad Mick's potential last DJ set for a long while on, on Saturday afternoon so that was that was very wow, important Chris. to me that it is was... impressive Chris what a yes, badge well, of honour that is uh, Chris <laughs> Chris Chris you know Chris is a trooper I would be lying I mean I didn't order Chris because that's not my job I'm not Chris's boss but I did sort of at, at about half four I did sort of say oh go on Chris will you just will you go and do that bit of the job as I was sitting nursing my third pint of the day so Chris took one for the team there a bit didn't you I did yeah I mean I'd be at the strawberries well so I, I basically got a tour of the of the usual sites in Newcastle but uh, Mad Mix was interesting I mean there were still quite a few people there and he, he seemed to be looking forward to next Saturday but obviously given the, the latest directive from uh, Boris <laughs> yeah. Johnson on, on Monday it doesn't even look like he's going to be able to do that so he's going to have to just be a uh, 
maybe in his own living room DJing. Do you think he'd be live, live streaming his DJ set from his living room? Yeah. <laughs> may well be. You may well be. Stuff like that. I think the demand's there, so... Absolutely. I'll tune into that. No problem whatsoever. And also, lads, I believe you've a few things have been going on with The Athletic as well with regards to articles you guys have chosen to unlock uh, so that people can read them for free at the minute. Is that... Chris, what have you been looking at? Yeah, so I had a bit of a thought process about this because, I mean, the, the, the title is my favourite article and I thought, favourite, most important. So I sort of went for a mix the, of the two and I went for... Uh, it was actually around the time of Newcastle Blade Wolves, back in October, I think it was, and before the 10,000 half-season tickets were given out. And basically looking at, at why St. James's Park had 6,700-whatever empty seats that it was and how each of those seats, it's not just plastic and metal that represents an individual story of, of, of a fan who no longer wants to go or has decided they can't go anymore. And obviously the protest has been this year and sort of speaking to some of those fans. And I just think it was, it's important to read the, the almost existential crisis that Newcastle had been going through and have been going through for a long while. And it sort of represents that and just trying to... Be a different take on that and I can tell you for one thing that sitting at the back of the Gallagher completely by yourself is a very very weird experience because you've got this almost you feel almost disconnected there's obviously still like 40 odd thousand people in the ground and yet I was sat with nobody within like five or six rows of me and you feel when people are celebrating a goal or kicking off at the referee you you are sort of disconnected from that and you feel disconnected from it and so it was a strange sort of experience and I think yeah just for me it felt like one of the most important articles I've written excellent yeah I mean I, I, I read that I thought it was great I thought it was such a good read as well yes it was a, it was a great read by Chris and I love that sort of idea of all those individual seats representing an individual story and you know those very sad those very sad stories of why people stop going and you know when we're thinking about the football club and what happens next and all that kind of stuff. One of the kind of big unknowns is what happens to those 10,000 half season tickets that have been given away for free. What happens to them? What happens to those people? How many of those people re will renew? It was, you know, it was a, it was a controversial decision at the time to sort of give those seats away. Um, and it effectively it put sort of things on hold for a little while at the club. It filled those gaps, but um, it didn't sort of address those major issues. So that's something to, you know, down the line somewhere will have to be addressed. The The piece I did was an uh, interview with Steve Howie, former Newcastle centre-half, of course, and it was to mark the 25th anniversary of his England debut, and it was also to mark the 20th, 25th anniversary of us knowing each other, our relationship. And I was a young, sorry, younger, because I'm still incredibly young, um, and, and attractive um, uh, journalist at the time working for a local paper up here and I got to know Steve just because the training ground was open and we were able to kind of mix with players back then and we were of a similar kind of age and we got to know each other and became good friends and so we had a kind of professional um, relationship and it became a personal thing and quite often our relationship revolved around drink and going out and We've had some good moments and we've had some pretty scary moments and really there was no kind of reason for doing it beyond beyond that um, beyond that sort of anniversary. But I think it gave I think it gives an example of the kind of stuff that we can do at the Athletic that's very different, can be personal, um, and can tell sort of long long stories in hopefully quirky sort of different ways. So that's why I that's why I chose that one. 
again, it was another fantastic read as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it is that one is like nothing. I think that anyone will have ever read if they if they haven't read that. I can't think of anything I've read quite similar to that because of the fact that it is so personal and because it's such a, a that relationship with, with alcohol and the, the two of you had and how close you are. I think anyone who reads that and and, and doesn't chuckle to themselves, I, I, I challenge them not to be able to do that. It was great. I mean, I, I enjoyed reading that an awful, awful lot, that article. It was, especially because Steve Howey was one of the players who, who was in the team when I first started going to watch Newcastle and, and any of those players from that era uh, uh, have got a special place in my heart, you know. And to read about your your relationship with him, George, it was it was really nice. It was it was really honest uh, and it was really open and I, and I enjoyed it an awful lot. I think, it's a, I think it's a really good article. It's a really good read. I'm glad you've uh, opened Thank it you. up to the masses as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well, we've been through, I mean, he, More you know, he's, he has a very, you know, he had a troubled relationship with, with drink. And I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've had similar kind of issues, but anyway, one of our, one of the nights out that we talk about ended up with me falling into the river weir right underneath the cathedral and somehow swimming across whilst off my tits. And I'm saying that in a way that makes it sound funny, but, uh, and I suppose I, when I look back on it now, I kind of, t- I tell it as a, funny story but really you know there's quite scary isn't it <laughs> yeah i mean you know chances are i really probably shouldn't have made it across the other side and um anyway we've both sort of lived to tell the tale and hopefully you know he's come out and has a has a great relationship with his missus and is doing very well and you know i'm i'm still standing and all that kind of stuff but um no as you know i love the fact that we can sort of tell tell stories like that that in a way that you wouldn't be able to tell in in newspapers so yeah i hope people have uh, had a look at that and enjoy it yeah so those those two articles have been unlocked by george and chris and they're they're completely free to read on theathletic.com at the minute also there is a special offer for if you're a podcast listener you can go on there and get a 40 percent discount off uh, a subscription to the athletic by using the code newcastle pod as well so that offer is currently going on if people are going to be stuck in the house as a lot of us probably are it's going to be nice to have some uh interesting and, and high quality uh, football writing to get to get our heads around i think it's uh it could be uh, an essential uh in the same way that pasta and toilet roll has become over the last few weeks Anyway, uh, chaps, I want to move on to something a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about not more interesting, more fun than your Fuck articles, it. obviously. Oh. They are both more fun and interesting than anything. Uh, I was talking about more fun and interesting than self-isolation and coronavirus. Um, yeah, you, che- you we- cheeky bastard. <laughs> more interesting. You've just... I know, but I mean, honestly, that was your first reaction to, th- to that. <laughs> something I like to talk about, something more interesting than you unlocking no, your really no, brilliant no, 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 articles no. for free. I've already said that your articles and your work in general is fabulous george please don't this is going to cause that. a lot of tension if if this is if this is the first one of these podcasts i'd like to move on to something more interesting talking about anything else than you <laughs> other than you <laughs> the thing i do like about this is i can't see george rolling his eyes at me when i try to string two sentences together anymore so that's fun um, i was thinking the osmosis that we talking about it, last yeah. week but the osmosis of misery we talked about last week can that happen? Do you think from it from from a distance? Do you Via think we can still get line. it? Yeah, do you still? I'm not sure. I'm, not I'm sure feeling yet. it to be honest. I'm feeling it. <laughs> so we're going to move on to something else. It might be more interesting. It probably isn't. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk a little bit about our Newcastle United Cult heroes. We've all chosen one each. We're going to spend a little bit of time discussing them. And because I've upset George, uh, I would like to start with George. And George can explain to us who his chosen Newcastle United Cult hero is. Go for it, George. Use your big boy voice. Okay, I would like to quote the <laughs> Newcastle United fanzine, The Mag. Right, go here for we it. Go. Barry Venison has long blonde hair. He shakes his fists and grits his teeth when he runs onto the park. He leaps into the air, heads an invisible ball, then turns to applaud the crowd. Barry Venison has a suntan that loses little colour as the winter months go by. He always gives 110%. I like Barry Venison. Wow. Do you know who the author that is... of that piece was? No, go on. Right, well, I'll just find his name at the bottom of this article. George, George Culkin um, wow. wrote that piece. And Incredible. So that must be back. I think that's back in 1994, I think, because I'm reading back to it. They're back at the team are back in the Premier League, and it's actually talking about a time when St James's was being refurbished because there were no away fans, and I sort of don't mm. remember that. Um, which is just Strange. a slight diversion because it's saying I'm saying that. Um, it's a situation compounded by a lack of visiting support. Part of the fun of going to a football match is the friendly rivalry between fans who, you know, blah, 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 blah. The ban on away fans until next season, unavoidable with the ground full of season ticket holders and the redevelopment of the Gallagher end has created a vacuum. Whingers fill it. You couldn't get away with that now, could you? No, no. So I was, but I was kind of actually writing a piece about, by the way, the mag was where I was first published. But, um, right. and I'm a fanzine, you know, I am of the fanzine generation, and this is when you can still get paper copies of the mug, and I was so pleased and proud to be seeing my name there. But anyway, I, I did love Barry Venison. I loved his long blonde hair. I loved that no kind of bullshit nonsense. And I loved the fact, I, I distinctly remember there was a Q&A in the Matchday programme, and it had things like, favorite drink and his answer was champagne and favorite car favorite car <laughs> and i'm sure it was like a bright red lamborghini tester bollocky penis cock whatever those cars are called you know bright red big penis <laughs> replacement cars and, lamborghini testosterone yeah yeah and and i'm sure he went out i'm sure he you know he went drinking in wine bars he was that kind of he was sophisticated mm. you know what i mean he came from concert and he drank in yeah wine bars and he would get picture he wore like really dodgy gear didn't he and i can't remember if this was late and he was yeah. commentating on fry tv or whatever but he'd like wore string vests underneath leather jackets and i mean i say this with huge affection but he was a bit of a cock and in that sort of <laughs> public public persona but i loved him and i loved he ran onto the pitch and he pretended to head the ball and he was tough. You don't see enough he, of that now, do you? No. And he'd, he'd, he, he was a, he was, he was, he was a right back. He was signed as a right back. He, of course, came through at Sunderland and went to Liverpool. And then I mean, that's the issue I've got came, with that. I mean, this is a well. I'm sorry. And he came back. And he came back to the northeast. And he played a pivotal part in the team that got promoted in '92, '93, and then hung about, and um, was if you remember, was converted from a right-back and played in midfield uh, quite a lot in that yeah, team. Yeah, defensive midfield, but, didn't he? Yeah, 
but I loved him. And I think I d- what I think the, the the reason that I wrote this piece, I was actually sort of saying that um, at a time when it felt like Newcastle fans were actually being very critical of their own team, maybe because I think I made, I made the point that people couldn't hear hear because you couldn't hear away fans in the stadium anymore. You heard a lot of criticism of players, mm. and that kind of annoyed me. And I was sort of trying to make the point that you know that he was he's a, he was a vital cog in what was a well-oiled attacking machine and his qualities complements the others all the others and that's why I like Barry Venison and he was a kind of very limited footballer in lots of ways but he had that there was one time as well when I was a journalist I I was debating whether I should tell this story and Please I went do. down to in, I went down to interview him it was before Newcastle were playing away somewhere and um before they went away they used to stock up from a newsagent's in Durham, underneath the <laughs> railway bridge, and Peter Beardsley always used to go there and get loads and loads of chocolate because he had a you know chocolate obsession. And um, Barry Venison said, "Yeah, fine, we'll do the interview, but I have to go. I'll be back in ten minutes." And as a journalist, your first response to that is, "Oh no, that he's he's not going to come back. He's just trying to find a way of getting out of it." And it's like, "Oh no," but it's like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, okay." Anyway, he came back. He came back with his paper bag, brown paper bag, and put it on top of his great great old-fashioned sports bag um, and put it down and we were just standing up at Maincastle and we started having this conversation and I'm recording him with my dictaphone as we're standing up and bit by bit, slowly but slowly, his paper bag sort of started slipping down um, the, the, the sports bag that it was resting on and not one, not two, but three what I would describe as jazz publications slowly slowly <laughs> slipped out of this brown paper bag and i'm sure it was nave mayfair really good old fashioned porn mags and Excellent my respect stuff. my respect for him at that point it, it couldn't have been a lot bigger than it was at the time but it did grew he acknowledge it that day no, he, he uh, no, no, no. He 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 bent down and just shuffled them back in, and we just carried on without mentioning it because you know we're Brilliant. English and we're and we're men. But I couldn't have loved him much more. But I I found a way to do that it. That is amazing. It's also Barry Venison's rhythm pamphlet is a great name for a band. If anyone wants to put that band together, it is. That's good. <laughs> yeah, Barry Venison. I was I was introduced to Barry Venison as a as a not introduced personally, but as a footballer through my dad in the in the. Um, in the early 90s when he was a Liverpool player, my dad had a bit of a thing about Liverpool and, and he used to say to me, watch Barry Venison and Steve McMahon in the middle, watch them, watch them playing, look at Barry Venison out over there, look at him, he's always running, he's always working and I, I, I remember him being so identifiable as Barry Venison because of that lion's mane of hair that he used to have and, and it, my dad used to say, he's from up here, you know, he's a local lad and all that. I mean, I didn't realise he drank in wine bars and, and his favourite drink was champagne. Otherwise, maybe the illusion might have been shattered somewhat. But uh, I always remember him and I remember a goal that he scored for Newcastle at St James's Park against, I've, I think it was Aston Villa. Now, somebody correct me if I'm incorrect with this, but it was a beautiful half volley from the edge of the box, which was past the goalkeeper before he had even seen it uh, into the top corner of the net. And that is my my mental image of Barry Venison. Somewhat different to yours, George. 
Well, there's a, there's a great little sentence on Wikipedia. So I was just looking to like remind myself of the dates and things like that. There is just a great little sentence that always makes, it's the kind of sentence that makes you want to sort of investigate more. But Keegan also successfully converted Venison into a midfield player following the arrival of right back Mark Cottiger at the start of the 1994 to 95 season, though he lost the club captaincy when he was spotted in a wine bar outside of the club's curfew. <laughs> It's just great, that. It? It's just great. Excellent. That's great. the way to do it. Chris, what about you? What? Who have you chosen as your, your Newcastle United cult hero? I've gone for Cribs hero, Shola Amiobi. Uh, <laughs> now, over the course of the next few weeks and months, however long we may have to self-isolate for, I probably will watch the episode of Cribs with Shola on several times, daily probably. Um, I mean, that remains one of the best things I've ever watched. So before I even get on to him as a footballer, just if you haven't yet watched it, it's available on YouTube. Please go on and please put Shola Cribs. I think it was quite, I mean, it must have been a few years into his Newcastle career, but he's quite young. But he's, it's his, his old house down by the Jesmond Dean. And basically, he just tells everyone about how much he loves hats, which is just, oh, it's just incredible. And he, sure, he goes around and he's just, oh, look, I've got a TV in here. I've got a TV in here. This is where I sleep. This is where I sleep. And he just comes across <laughs> as so boring, but in a brilliant sort of way. It's, he, he is, it's, it's absolute TV gold. And I, I never used yeah. to watch Cribs, but I have seen this and it is fantastic. I've never watched that. My favourite part of that is when Shola says, I've got lots of hats. I like hats. <laughs> This is where I keep me hearts. It's just unbelievable. It's just, you couldn't, you know, Spielberg have, couldn't have directed this. Did he have like top hats and tamashans no, and trilby? They were all baseball, all baseball caps, really. There was no like, you know, he wasn't one strutting around with a, bowl, with a bowler hat on his head or anything like that. These were all baseball yeah, caps, sort of NBA and, and Major League Baseball caps, basically. But he just had loads of them. But he had a special, he had like a display thing, didn't he? Like a part of his wardrobe was like dedicated to hats this is where I keep me hats his teammates just used to take the piss out of him completely about it apparently which is brilliant because it and rightly so because it is hilariously bad but it's also if you watch it, I was watching it again I think it was yesterday very recently because I do watch it frequently um, and if you just see the the sort of the sort of uh, old style, just how much technology developed so he's got like he's like oh look at her this is my state-of-the-art TV or CD player or whatever. It's just like this massive sort of CD just in, in, in his car or whatever. And just, so just how, how much things have been like, it's just hilarious that this is like, this is this was footballers top of the range, whereas now that would be obviously just crap that people would, would never even have around. But in terms of Shola, the player as well, just there was something beautifully bumbling about him in terms of he was... He always knew that he was, he was he was in some ways capable, but he never actually looked he never looked like he was in control of his limbs, and so the ball would bounce off him, and he was never actually quite as good as you, as you thought he might have been, and yet he was a very important player for Newcastle over a long period. Never scored enough, but actually over the course of it, he started as like this gangly tall forward, and he became this absolute sort of machine. In terms of, I mean, by the end, is I don't know how much he was, he was huge, wasn't he? The bench, oh, he was absolutely, yeah, he was absolutely huge, um, and he became that senior player in the dressing room. And the best thing, I, I, the thing I like best about him is the it, it would because at the moment, over the next few weeks, George and I will be compiling what we refer to as Newcastle's three greatest or three most important uh, modern day goals, and 
one of them will, well, I'm not going to reveal one, but in terms of Alan Shearer and all those other famous guys, Papi Cissé, those goals, basically Shola is the one who lays it on for them. So in so many ways, Shearer's 206, F201st, sorry, Shearer's volley against Everton, Papi Cissé against Chelsea. In many ways, those goals are really down to Shola Amiobi and not down to, to Shearer or, or Papi Cissé. Yeah, I mean, he was. It's, it seems almost seems to be strange to be talking about somebody as a cult figure who played nearly 400 games for the club in all competitions because, I don't yeah. know, I think you sort of feel that, and, you know, those games by and large were in the Premier League and things like that. And so that's that should be a high-profile player. That should be somebody who's sort of, who's etched into the history of the club. And yet it was almost as if, I mean, he did have that, he had that sort of enormous talent and it never quite was developed, in, you know, no, it, it was never sort of quite pushed into full or complete com- performances. And it became, you know, the, his goal tally was was poor for a centre forward. And, um, you know, he was kind of nicknamed the Mackham Slayer and stuff like that. And that was kind of quite funny and things like that. But it, the club... Never, it, I don't know. It was like awkward. There was something awkward there, wasn't it? And it was he was like he symbolised not quite being good enough or or something. And maybe that's partially how we feel about players who've come through, you know, who 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 come through the system. You know, they get sort of treated differently to players who get brought in that we kind of put different demands on them. But it always felt like yeah. there was more to come from him that he should be better, um, and. And but he still stayed, and he he stayed at the club, and he, he he was a very valuable player, and he was also a really good, he was a kind of good fella as well, and but yeah, it was that strange thing. It's um, he does feel like a kind of cult cult player, but if you've been there for that long and for that many years, you shouldn't be really, should you? I mean, you should just be part of the, you should be absolutely part of the furniture. Yeah, there was there was talk of him also having to having to play games for Newcastle when he probably shouldn't have been playing games. There was times when other strikers who shall remain nameless were injured and, and Shola was put through uh, put through the ringer and actually playing through the pain barrier with some kind of hip injury, if I remember rightly, and, and having to play games when he when he really he wore a face mask. And this he wore was a face mask. Yeah, he wore face mask. And this was quite early on, quite early on in his career as well when he was still developing, you know. If he maybe hadn't have been thrown in and at, at such a young age, and and I mean, he was brought through by Bobby Robson, I believe, as well, and 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 playing yeah. up front alongside Alan Shearer uh, and people like that. And it's you, you wonder what might have happened with Shola's career had had things been slightly different for him. You know, I mean, he went out on loan a couple of times and and various other things, but he never really looked like leaving Newcastle at any point, did he? Um, he he's the, the the epitome of a kind of of a one club man, I suppose. Yeah, and he did. I mean, when I said the Mackenslayer thing, I'm sure I'm just trying to I'm trying to remember now. It's a, it jots things back. I'm sure, is it not right that only Jackie Milburn had a better goal scoring record against Sunderland than Shola did? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is right. Yeah, and so I suppose again, if we're talking about cult, well, you know, in some ways, derby games are cult games, particularly in the northeast, because nobody else apart from us, gives a toss about them. And, you know, nobody, you know, they're never important games or they're very, very rarely important games for what they mean in terms of positive things. I mean, okay, yeah, who's who's staying up or or whatever. But, you know, they're, they're huge games for us. They're not huge games for anybody else because they just tend to symbolise desperation. But he, 
he was a hugely pivotal figure in those games, certainly in terms of that. He had a decent record against Middlesbrough as well, if I remember correctly. Just not not at the rest of the, the, the games. No. Okay, so for my for my Newcastle United cult hero, I have picked um, Jonas Gutierrez, uh, a player who um, defied all odds uh, and and fought away uh, testicular cancer um, and still continued to play and train for Newcastle and uh, a man who I just I, I have a utmost admiration and respect for as well, but also a, a really important player for us in that the early uh, 2010s, uh, moving onwards through that through that decade, uh, a guy who who joined us with very little fanfare. I don't think many people knew an awful lot about him, but I remember the first game he played for us, and that there's not many players who I remember their debut as vividly as what I remember Jonas Gutierrez's debut. And he played against Manchester United at Old Trafford. And I sat and watched this game with, with my mate Stephen. And I remember watching it and just thinking, who the hell is this guy? What have we signed? He didn't run like anybody had ever seen before. <laughs> he ran He ran in a way which didn't look normal and looked like it was causing him pain to run. But he could stride past people. Um, and he absolutely terrorised Man United that day. And I remember just thinking... God, he plays for us. The only times I've ever thought about that with any other player has been Hatton Ben Arthur um, and when I very first saw David Ginola as well. And I mean, that's pretty esteemed company, isn't it? Let's be honest. But Jonas, for a few years, was 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 definitely a cult hero of mine. I thought there was times he came in for a for really unfair stick uh, from, from Newcastle fans and he was... He was really versatile in what he did. He was a Swiss Army knife of a player who would play in a number of different <laughs> positions. He'd play in a, he'd play as a winger. Uh, he played in central midfield uh, in the 11-12 season under Alan Pardew. Even deputised at right back and left back at different times. And he was just all action all of the time. Um, and I, and I absolutely love him. And he's got lovely hair. Yes, he was. He I think he's. I think he fits into this. Um, he fits into this category so well. There were lots of things. There were lots of things about him. I mean, obviously, he and Colaccini, Colaccini, who would also, I think, would would probably work in this category as well. You know, yeah. arrived in two thousand eight when Keegan was manager, and of course, that season disintegrated into utter pandemonium and chaos. And here are these two fellas um, from Argentina, and you know what the hell is going on here and you've got Joe Kinnear as manager and then you've got Shearer for the last few games of the season and then they go down and it's turmoil and a lot of big players left the club that summer in the championship but they both stayed and they became something you know that stood for something very very important I was mentioned that I was speaking to Steve Harper a bit earlier well obviously he was a really fundamental part of that um, dressing room. That's something I'm going yeah. to be writing about. Chris and I are going to be writing about quite soon because it's ten years on from that. And they forged an incredible bond. And it was chaos at Newcastle at that time, but mm. on the pitch, they had this profound bond. And it saw them through this season, and they came back up as champions. And I think you know the club have kind of rewritten history a little bit, um, almost as if they'd kind of cracked. Promotion or relegation, however you describe it, I've said De- that definitely cracked relegation. Yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> but 
you know, it was really difficult, and they had to. The dressing room had to kind of lead itself, and you know, along with Chris Hutton, who did such a great job. And the, one of the things I loved about that team was that we thought. I, I think we started thinking about a team in terms of partnerships again. So on that left hand side, you had Gutierrez, and behind him was Jose Enrique, and I think individually they weren't they weren't world class footballers but they had that brilliant bond together on the left hand side and they worked together so well and that was one side of it for god's sake he was a man who hid a spider-man mask down his pants <laughs> and pulled it out when he scored a goal and he kept it there for about three frigging years i, I mean can you imagine the state of that mask it would have been mean and, wouldn't it oh it's just disgusting but what a you know brilliant moment, and of course then that leads to the you know people still sing the Spider Man song and stuff like that, and it you know yeah. that created create this bond, and then yeah, I mean to come back to come back from the illness he had, and to come back into the team, and then to leave in the way he did was magnificent as well. And he's somebody I think we all always feel. I'm not I'm not saying this is just about the northeast. I'm sure this is the case wherever but you know because we're but because we're like an isolated part of the country and an isolated part of the world i think we always find it very special and kind of emotional and moving when people come to us and fall in love with it a bit yeah and he definitely did that and he still refers to himself as a geordie and he's got like you know he's got newcastle stuff tattooed on his arms and things like that yeah and i saw that recently we, he had a, a the Spider-Man yeah. thing tattooed on his arm, didn't he? And the, new, yeah. and the time yeah. bridge as well. We we Amazing. fell in love with him. We fell in love with him, but he fell in love with us. And it's like, that is such a beautiful thing when it happens. I think one of my favourite moments in football history, genuinely, is is was that goal he scored against West Ham because of everything he'd been through and just the importance of it for Newcastle United that season. And I think that there were most of the ground or most Newcastle fans watching that day had tears in their eyes because that was such a special and important moment for him personally and also for the club. And that, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget the, the feeling that day. It was incredible. Incredible scenes, definitely. And also the way he celebrated the goal as well. It, it was like the weight of the world had been lifted off, off the man's shoulders. You know, the top came off. He twirled it around his head. He ran. Along the length of the uh, the Milburn stand, cupped his hands to his ears, and stared at somewhere in the director's box. Let's say um, I'm not sure where exactly, but yeah, but it, just an, an amazing man as well as a, a great footballer, a great guy. Um, a lot of videos have gone round on sort of Instagram and on Twitter and stuff of him on on the bus and on the planes when the team go away, and he's the one leading the sing songs and he's the one who seems to be the life and soul of the party and keeping everybody's spirits up and stuff like that. It just seems like a really good guy. Um, and I mean, I was there, you mentioned that Spider-Man mask, George. I was, I was there the day that it first came out of those shorts um, against Barnsley in the championship. Uh, and he, not he a phrase, not a phrase that you want to use in other circumstances, possibly. Definitely not. No, but he, he picked the ball up on the, on the left-hand side uh, from Enrique and he, he jinked past two or three players and he's about 25, 27 yards out and he just pings this ball uh, past the goalkeeper and in off the underside of the crossbar and then wheels away and, and pulls the mask out and starts doing the <laughs> the web-slinging salutes with the hands. And, and I just thought, oh my God, this guy is brilliant. I love him. I love him so much. It's it's a, it's something that will stay with me forever, that. It's absolutely brilliant stuff. And also, obviously, the, the 
what happened to him uh, towards the end of his time at Newcastle when he, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, it was kept fairly quiet uh, to start with and he went out on loan in Norwich and he couldn't, he, in the, the things that I've read, the interviews and stuff, he couldn't really play. He didn't want to play. There was all sorts of things going on. Obviously his health was suffering. And then the next thing we see is a picture of him sitting down with his hair completely gone his his eyebrows gone and 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 actually looking like someone who's sick and then you realize exactly what it is and this guy is not in a good way you know he's he's undergoing chemo and all that sort of stuff and it just shows you that it doesn't matter how much of a an athlete because let's be honest Jonas Gutierrez was a was a, in good nick the guy was a specimen of a of a of a person and it doesn't matter how how athletic you are that that disease it just it, it has no qualms about just going for anyone does it you have to remember that and he for him to fight back from that there's a lot of people who would have given up at that point they would have given up on a football career they would have just said oh look this is it now I've he's obviously not short of a few quid I'll just retire and live out the rest of my days and all that but he just kept going and then he came back in a reserve game at, at uh, over at Whitley Park I believe it was and and he, it was him again. And then I remember the day he came back for Newcastle when he was brought on as a substitute, um, his first game back. Um, and he got booked within five minutes and the entire crowd booed the referee for about five minutes because he booked, he booked Jonas. It was just amazing. It's absolutely incredible. But yeah, what a guy. He was treated really badly by the club and um, yeah. or just with a lack of care. I mean, I think just with the lack of care. Um, but it was a, it was a kind of, it was a, it was a wonderfully redemptive story, and I think you've, you've encapsulated perfectly. I mean, we're living in a time now when so much feels uncertain, and we don't know what's yeah. around the corner. Um, you know, and but that was a, that was a kind of perfect sort of example of that. But you know, someone who jo- he joined the club, we didn't know a lot about him. He was from a long way away. And yet, by the time that he left, we were united by something bigger and more important, and that was what happened to him off the pitch. It was also what he contributed on the pitch. And, you know, that feeling, and this now sounds, you know, this probably sounds a bit wanky, but, you know, Newcastle United can represent lots of things to lots of people, but it was it was a profound... that The, the team that came back up... It was profound. That was a profound team, and there was a profound bond. And I, one one lovely thing that Harps uh, said to me today was, about, you know, he played in the Champions League, he played in the FA Cup final, he played in some really really good teams. But he said of that team that came back up, he said, "I'll I'll see members of that team at a function somewhere, you know, bump into them on the circuit somewhere, and we just look at each other and we just know because." Something something really important happened. They didn't represent Newcastle uh, winning things because that doesn't happen to us. It, you know, it wasn't the best team of all time, but they represented us in a way that was how I'd want to be represented. And Gutierrez is up there amongst all of those people. A special, you know, and because of that, he's a special player. And without a shadow of a doubt, he's a special bloke. 
Absolutely. Well, lads, listen, we've chunted on now for a good uh, a good 35, 40 minutes about these various uh, cult heroes and other things that we've uh, we've discussed. Uh, it's been great chatting to you and, and please uh, keep your eyes open uh, and your ears open for more podcasts and more content coming from The Athletic. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up there uh, and we will speak to you all very, very soon. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other uh, and make sure you get onto theathletic.com. Use your code Newcastle pod for a 40% discount and check out those free articles uh, that George and Chris have unlocked this week. Boys, thanks a lot for joining us. It's been fun. Thank you. We'll be back soon. See you later. Bye. The the lads having the MTV Cribs episode on in the dressing room. Yeah, I was stitched up. Yeah, but listen, I, I have to take it on the chin. I'm a big man. And I, I had to take, sit there and watch while everyone was sniggling and laughing.